0: Hello and welcome to Future Thinking from Stylus. I'm your host, Christian Ward, Head of Media and Marketing at Stylus. Today we'll be speaking to Miles Katz, co-founder of Synthesis, a legal psychedelic retreat in Amsterdam that uses psilocybin, which is the active compound in magic mushrooms, for personal growth and well-being. Also with us is Kate Johnson, Stylus's Senior Editor of Consumer Attitudes and Technology. Welcome to both of you. So, today we're going to be discussing the work Synthesis is doing, exploring the change in consumer attitudes and broader research that's driving this psychedelic renaissance, and looking at how brands are getting involved. So, Miles, first of all, can you tell us a little bit uh, about what's on offer at Synthesis and a bit of background as to how you began the business and why? Yeah,
1: definitely, I'd be glad to. So, we started with the idea of Synthesis at the end of 2017. And we're really seeing this rise in the awareness of psychedelics. Um, There's a lot of really amazing research coming out about the potential in mental health. And the media really loves to cover this. So it's really this uh, reciprocating effect of research study. Media jumps on into it. People are reading about it. It's not uncommon to see headlines like magic mushrooms cure depression. And so this naturally is getting people very interested. Um, A lot of people are suffering with different mental health crises and um, kind of everyday treatments don't work. Um, On top of that, there's really this disconnect in how most people in the world are experiencing psychedelics. So we're in a research setting where these studies take place. It's very controlled. There's a lot of support. They're screening out for people who it's not safe for. Um, The other side of that spectrum is how most people are experiencing psychedelic drugs. And this can range from going to a festival like Burning Man to going into the woods with your friends to underground ayahuasca sessions um, you know, all over the world these days. And so we really wanted to create a place where a modern professional who wants to experience psychedelics but um, isn't yet ready to go down into the Amazon and try ayahuasca or doesn't want to break the law or um, you know isn't going to go to an event like Burning Man where they could have a safe, facilitated um, experience that's medically sound. And there's very few places where you can do this in the world because of the legal status of almost all the psychedelics. The Netherlands presents a unique opportunity in that, um, in the sense that psilocybin-containing truffles are legal. And as you mentioned, is the same ingredient as magic mushrooms. And that's really what we set out to do. So really, we think about what is the future of psychedelics integrated into society, 5, 10, 20 years, whenever this comes. And where are the places that people are going to want to go to have these experiences? What kind of support are they going to want? What kind of education are they going to need once they have the experience? And so in the Netherlands, um, we don't really have to wait for legalization because a certain psychedelic is already legal. And so we built our premise around that. Uh, We set up with pilot retreats in the middle of 2018. We hosted about 50 people between five groups. And then by November 2018, we were full-time with our own... Research, uh, not research, retreat center and uh, staff and um, regular retreats. And so since then, we've seen about 700 customers. We've done medical screening for about 3,000 people who want to come on retreat. We reject a high number of those because there are often people looking for help with mental illness, and we're not yet a clinic set up to support that. So while the work we're doing, Um, and psilocybin in particular, could be beneficial to people with mental illness. We're very honest that we are not yet a medical clinic, and just because the active ingredient is the same doesn't mean that it's a medical treatment. Um, The clinical studies that show the efficacy have a lot of uh, therapy and support before and after the experience that we don't yet to provide in our context. Um, So we're mostly set up for what the research would call or the literature would call, quote, healthy normals. Um, people who are not clinically diagnosed, not on uh, certain medications for mental illness, and uh, some other safety criteria as well. And so, yeah, we host three- and five-day retreats. The three-day retreat has one experience with psilocybin, the five-day retreat has two, and we provide a series of preparation and integration services on top of the experience itself.
0: So you talk there about preparation and integration. What else is involved in terms of... Understanding the experience, helping people use it in their in their lives after they leave. What 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 are people getting out of it? Yeah, and this is a
1: really big question in psychedelics in general because um, there is a lot of research and evidence that suggests the the more prepared someone is going into the experience, the more they'll get out of it. And we know from um, experience that the integration process um, really dictates a lot of how long the effects last for people and so What we do is we have individual consultations with everyone who's considering coming um, As long as they've been medically screened. So this is a 45 minute intake call for someone to start to unpack their intentions psychedelics have a potential to magnify depths of someone's subconscious and we don't always know what parts of it are going to be magnified. So what we believe our job is as facilitators is to help start to unpack that, help the individual prepare around that. Um, we believe the closer we can help them get to the core of what they're wanting to resolve, the more effective the psychedelic component can be. And then afterwards, no matter what comes up, whether it's around their intention or not, we're there to receive them and support them and help them turn that experience, that, insight, that download, if you will, that one might get during an experience into practical next steps for how to make changes in their life and make improvements.
0: So Kate, I know we've been tracking um, at Stylus the changing attitudes towards psychedelics for some time. How is sentiment towards these mind-altering drugs uh, shifting?
2: Well, there's no doubt that interest in the positive impact of psychedelics is rising dramatically. Uh, In the the past uh, few years, we've identified modern mystics experimenting with hallucinogens for improving their mental health uh, and Silicon Valley's uptake of microdosing psychedelics for creativity and concentration. Uh, We've also charted millennials blending ancient rituals with self-care and spiritualism, particularly taking to the traditional psychedelic ayahuasca Um, And then at the beginning of this year, we looked at new strategies for beating burnout, one of which sees an emerging breed of neo-psychonauts exploring altered states of consciousness, using marijuana, hallucinogens and other techniques in group settings to enhance well-being and uh, a sense of connection. And... um, I think really driving this positive shift in attitudes, uh, we're seeing the significant changes in legislation and also, of course, improved research around the substances. So Denver and Oakland in the US, I know, have both decriminalized psilocybin. And I see this perhaps as a signal that psychedelics are following the trajectory of cannabis. So possibly once seen as counterculture, but now increasingly embraced for their therapeutic and even spiritual uh, benefits. Um, And both London's Imperial College and Johns Hopkins University in the US opened psychedelic research centres just last year. So, yeah, I think we're no doubt on the cusp of this psychedelic renaissance.
0: And do you think... Uh, Do you think consumers are becoming more receptive to the idea as well? It's no longer something to be seen as a kind of recreational thing, but it's becoming more about creativity and and self-growth and that kind of thing.
2: Absolutely. And I think there is, um, it's been seen that there's a correlation between attitudes of those people who are more educated versus not. So one interesting stat, I think, was um, a YouGov survey, and they revealed that 69% of U.S. graduates now support psychedelic research, into their potential benefits for emotional well-being, in particular.
0: So, Miles, um, if you get through the screening and you've had your integration and, and setup process, tell us what happens next. Then, what, what is a what is a session like, and what what happens? So,
1: guests come on um, day one. They arrive around noon. Um, we have some activities planned for them around education. Um, this would mostly be around things like flight instructions, which is the term that Johns Hopkins developed um, regarding the how to prepare for your journey if you will. Um, we talk to people about how to navigate difficult experiences. Um, although these are kind of in the mainstream unchartered mental states there is techniques and tools that people can use to navigate once they're in the experience um, and this largely can help people, move through um, what is commonly referred to as bad trips, so we talk a lot about this because this is understandably one of the main concerns people have. Um, We do individual preparations, so everyone on our retreat is paired with one of our lead facilitators to do a one-on-one session just about their reason for coming. And so really the two things we're trying to do in this um, is prepare someone for the set and setting. This is a term commonly used in psychedelic research and to help people prepare psychedelic experiences and the mindset refer the set refers to mindset, which is someone's psychological preparedness. Do they feel safe? Do they feel ready? Can they trust the people they're with? The setting element is the physical surrounding the the venue. The you know, are police officers going to break in in the middle? Things like this. So, the more someone's prepared and with set and setting, the more they can release in. And so, while there's elements of the the workshops we set up and how we structure them, there's also an element of just. Spending time in the space where you're going to have your experience before you have your experience. Um, that's the first day. The second day is starts with the light breakfast, and we do a 90 minute breathwork session. Um, so there's different breathwork tools that can induce expanded states of consciousness. Um, we use one referred to as transformational breath, but we you know we mix it up in different with different facilitators, and this is really to help people get out of their head and into their bodies just before the psilocybin psychedelic experience. And this is also something that we believe prepares someone more for the experience. It's quite natural that someone has a lot of, uh, they're in their head a lot before the experience. They've often flown across the world. Um, They spend some, you know, non-meaningless sum of money to be on retreat with us. And there's a lot of expectations naturally, Um, whether it's the first time they're doing it or um, or not, and so the breath work helps bring people into the moment and relax into themselves before they go into the psychedelic experience. And then the remainder of the day is re- in a six to eight hour ceremony. We call it um, a group, a room with uh, everyone in on a bed with a blanket and a pillow, so very comfortable. Um, but in a kind of group context, and we've borrowed this from. The traditional use of psychedelics, like ayahuasca, but there's also mushroom circles all over Central and South America, and we believe this is a really important part of the experience as well. Um, people primarily wear an eye mask for the duration of the experience, so the um, the experience is individual and in their in their own consciousness. But there is an element of everyone feeling like they're going on this journey together that creates a community bonding, and we have some interesting research. Um, out of the work we've done with Imperial College to show how important that group community feeling is um, as part of the experience. And that day ends around 8, 9 p.m., light dinner, people go to bed. And the third day, in a way, is a inverse of the first day. So instead of preparing people, we're helping them integrate. So there's workshops on how to integrate your experience analytically, socially, physically, and um, also one-on-one integration. So you get, again, the same facilitator who had your preparation one-on-one, you debrief with. And really, the whole idea behind this is to help people walk away with uh, not just the experience, but also a toolkit for how to continue to unpack the experience. We know that there is an increase in neuroplasticity after a psychedelic experience. Your brain is more flexible, and um, you're easier to see certain things in your life in new ways. You might see a relationship that no longer serves you and you might be more ready to take action or you might um, see how your job affects you. And so we want people to have a toolkit for how they can continue unpacking and continue processing when they leave our retreat and take advantage of that increased neuroplasticity.
0: So Kate, that's an interesting point about increased neuroplasticity because obviously we're hearing um, a lot of things around Silicon Valley entrepreneurs and creative types, microdosing and so forth to try and enhance their creativity. I mean, is that part of what Um, it's all about, it's kind of like um, making your brain a little bit more flexible
2: I think so, and I think a big part of it as well is this idea of connection and the I think it's this ego dissolution is what I would say to me is something that keeps coming up, is this idea of being able to shed kind of quite um, tight bounds or social constructs uh, about ways, patterns of thinking, so it almost dissolves your ego and kind of rigid patterns that you might be stuck in. So in doing so, it does make you, you, I guess, more pliant creatively um, and also more willing, I guess, to... um, I know a lot of people in Silicon Valley Valley were uh, conducting these kind of retreats together so that they could perform better as teams so it makes you more empathetic mm. to other people more receptive to other ideas seeing ideas in different ways as well so i think it's that whole almost symbiosis becoming of oneness losing of sense of self that really is appealing to people
0: and obviously you mentioned miles bad trips and and i guess you know most people's or some people's fear um, is that it's pretty unpredictable. Um, uh, what are the risks associated and how do you mitigate against these?
1: Yeah, so really we think about it as there's four things you want to control for for a psychedelic experience. Um, two very important ones, as we spoke about, are mindset and physical setting, so set and setting. The other two are dose and substance, which sound like a no-brainer, but you know, if you look at our society's relationship with illegal drugs people are not checking the drugs that they take, and they're not knowing what dose of the drug they take. And so obviously it's very natural that those things have big implications, but it's just not something that's part of mainstream acceptance of drugs. So if we're, we we know that if we're controlling for dose, substance, set and setting, very reliably we can create safe psychological experiences. Um, there are risks for that are not fully understood, for people that have certain psychological mental illnesses, um, and so what really the the risk is I think I think the risks they're twofold in a in a recreational setting. Um, you know just looking at those things that we spoke about if you're at a festival or a concert and you're in these altered states and you lose your friends and you start to go down this negative thought pattern, like these are you know very understandable how someone can end up having a bad trip. Um, in our more controlled setting, and in I would feel comfortable saying in a more research setting as well, is um, people can also get into negative thought patterns. Um, often this is when people are resisting what comes up. So we talked about the idea of magnifying parts of your subconscious, and some people don't want to face that. And so what we do with our customers is prepare them to face that. And then if it comes up or if there's something that feels unpleasant that comes up, to not just try to tuck it away because that's not really something you can do in these experiences. That's what creates the bad trip as it keeps coming up. Um, we encourage them to lean into it and move through it. And we believe that this is can create some of the most powerful outcomes out of the experiences. If you have something that's really dark or challenging and deep inside of your mind and you face it, that's where some of the biggest emotional breakthroughs can come through. But often people need to be in the right context to navigate that space and to go down. And so what it might look like uh, outside the mind is someone being having their hand held or someone getting a hug or someone um, you know during the experience having a brief interaction with the facilitator who reminds them to lean in even though it's difficult to do so. Um, yeah, so that's, that's really how we look at difficult experiences and um, the research on such is, is very early as the research on all psychedelics is very early and so... We're looking to um, use our participants' information and um, learn more about that in real time because we're having such a captivated audience and um, thinking about it in a really data-focused way.
0: And are, are people coming back? Have you had repeat visits and they're, they're getting more out of it each time?
1: Yeah, so the business has only been full-time for about 13 months, but we have probably 5% of people who've either come back already or in in the pipeline to come back, and so Um, It's a really good sign. Um, And this is really how we think about the possible way these kinds of tools integrate into society is the medical community and the research is really focused around um, you're not well, this is a treatment, and then you become well. And then there's not really a discussion around what comes after that. Um, Mm -hmm.
2: I find it interesting with the whole kind of bringing Big Pharma in or the idea of perhaps where's the incentive for this investment potentially if you can medicate someone with anxiety or depression day in, day out versus the efficacy of some of these treatments and the research now showing just how effective they can be on a lasting basis. It's not just the kind of psychedelic afterglow effect. Um, Just you can sort of start to understand that power dynamic at play as to why maybe there hasn't been this kind of research or involvement by the big pharmaceutical companies because, I mean, I know just looking now at that one study, um, was it by Imperial College with psilocybin um, that was done, they've just last year launched the, released the results six months on from the first pioneering study and showed the, the lasting impact still six months on, um, It was basically that 31% of participants with treatment-resistant entirely depression reported enduring antidepressant effects six months after that single treatment. And I think that's quite profound.
1: Yeah, I think it's also important for people to understand about psychedelics is that this is the only class of compounds that ever had been banned from being researched. Mm -hmm. And so you have this 50-, 60-year period. We're still in it in a lot of ways where because of the scheduling of the drugs, it's so difficult to get research permits. It's so difficult to do. And I think this is one of the biggest benefits that will come out of the first medicalization of psychedelics is that they'll be rescheduled So, um, in the U.S., at least um, where I come from. Um, that means they'll move from Schedule 1 down from schedule to at least Schedule 2, but uh, Johns Hopkins has made a public plea for psilocybin to be scheduled down to 4 and so once that happens, like you'll, you'll see a lot more research for a lot more different use cases. Right now, um, the pioneering companies are having to put tens of millions of dollars into the research just to do that first rescheduling to get that first treatment out. Afterwards, it'll start to come much more naturally. Um, and in, in our synthesis model of looking at how psychedelics can be beneficial is um, these are experiences that you can use not just if you're unwell, um, and clearly people come to our retreat center, um, for that reason, and you can really use it as a, a time point to check in, reflect, um, grow, evolve at you know any time point really there's no there's not yet any best practice established like some people might benefit from multiple experiences in a short time. Some people might want to use it as a yearly mental health check of sorts. Um, but yeah, as you grow and you evolve and your life grows and you, life evolves, like these can be really valuable experiences to. Um, make sure you're not getting stuck in the patterns of of modern society, which is quite easy to do.
0: So we've talked about the changing research and the changing attitudes. Um, this is obviously a, a burgeoning um, area. Um, what are the brand opportunities to get involved with this embryonic industry, do you think?
1: So we've seen a number of brands already to take already started to take an interest in psychedelics. Um, the first one that comes to mind, for me, is Dr. Bronner's um, organic soap company, um, I believe based out of California. But a number of years ago, they pledged $1 million to help fund the research of MDMA as a medicine. And they recently donated $150,000 to an initiative in Oregon in the U.S. that would allow for legal psilocybin mushroom treatment centers. Um, and so they've very much taken a stance of this is a social justice um effort in their mind, people are suffering, these medicines can really help. And that's their philanthropic arm, is funding psychedelic research and progress on um, access to psychedelics.
2: I think as yeah as legalization spreads and and new research is shifting attitudes positively towards these substances, um, more generally than a specific brand, but as an industry, of course, the travel and hospitality industry has massive opportunity here. And um, so I think we're going to see these high end healing psychedelic getaways uh, proliferate. Um, and so the likes of Synthesis and Experience Retreats is another one in the Netherlands, and there's the Buena Vida in Mexico leading the way here um, and I also thought it worth mentioning at this point that for some for so for some people may be wary of actually taking mind-altering substances, we are seeing brands playing with um, mimicking psychedelic experiences using different kinds of technologies, so it's almost like cyberdelics rather than psychedelics um, as a way to kind of bypass this legislation issue that you maybe are faced with here um, so WavePaths is one example in London and they're uh, using kind of neurotechnology, sound healing, and light therapies to mimic these healing psychedelic experiences. Um, so, yeah, that's quite interesting.
1: Yeah, and the person behind Wavepath yeah. was a researcher at Imperial College of London in the psychedelic department. So oh, really? there's some some tie back mm. there for sure. And also uh, forms of breathwork. Uh, breathwork's becoming very popular all over the world, and, and I would include this in that, uh, ways people can access these expanded states of consciousness
0: without a psychedelic substance. Mm. So, I mean, it all sounds really exciting and it seems like we're sort of back where we were in the 60s before this stuff got banned where you had the likes of Timothy Leary sort of, uh, you know, saying that we were... uh, The potential for this is huge uh, in changing attitudes and increasing empathy and that sort of thing. So where do you guys think this is going to go in the next 10, 15 years, assuming that, um, you know, the laws begin to be more relaxed? Yeah, so... We see this already happening. Um, There's
1: a number of counties in the U.S. already decriminalizing. There's clinical trials in final stages in a number of different countries. Um, There's people getting on the Internet and reading and uh, learning and experimenting on their own. And so I think that it's inevitable that this comes. I think um, what happened in the 60s where there was a huge spread of misinformation and... Um, legal backlash is much less likely to happen now. Um, people just have access to the truth with the internet. And um, they're also learning that the, you know, the medical establishment that they trusted for so long isn't necessarily um, in their best interest. And so I think the real answer is we don't fully know. I think there'll be elements of um, recreational underground because um, these also can be very therapeutic for people um, to connect with friends and connect with nature. Um, I think we hope that we'll see a lot more professionalized centers, whether they're clinical focused or not, but like synthesis that can provide safe experiences and really give people the context and the education around the experience as they um, go through the journey of learning um, how to incorporate psychedelics in their lives. And we also definitely help. And we do not want to undermine how many people who are really suffering from mental health who can be helped from medical treatments as well designed around these substances.
2: Yeah, I think the psychedelic positive movement will only continue to gain momentum. Um, And I think this whole, this broader desire to augment via altered states, generally speaking, kind of psychedelic otherwise technology, breath work is also something that we're seeing as people continue to explore their inner worlds or inner psyches as this kind of next frontier of um, self-introspection, I guess. Um, And yeah, I almost wonder if... Because we've been looking at the future of healthcare and um, how things are becoming more personalised according to, according to your physiological makeup. So you know, eating according to your uh, chronotype. or so I'm just wondering if in the future we might not see microdose psychedelic substances form part of our personalized wellness prescriptions, perhaps.
0: Well, fantastic. Uh, I feel like my state has been completely altered by um, a mind blowing conversation. Thank you very much. I'd like to thank my guests, Miles Katz and Kate Johnson. And thank you for listening. I hope you'll join us next time for more Future Thinking from Stylus. You've been listening to Future Thinking from Stylus, the show where our analysts, alongside industry thought leaders, unpack the big trends you need to know about. Find out more about what the future holds for your business at stylus.com. If you like what you heard today, make sure you subscribe to Future Thinking in iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to hear new episodes as soon as they're available.